Welcome to episode 84 of The People on K-Chung 1630 AM. I'm Ben White. And I'm Matthew Timmons. Our guests on this episode are Akina Cox and Haley Barker. Akina Cox is an artist and writer who was raised in the Unification Church. When do you fight the patriarchy? And then when do you start over? Do we fight to make the power structures that exist better? Or do we try and just demolish them? It doesn't matter which one you choose. What matters is the people that you're fighting with. Akina lives and works in Los Angeles, and her show Apocalypsis runs from March 15 through May 3rd at Bozo Mag in the Highland Park neighborhood here in L.A. Haley Barker is a painter who's originally from Oregon, but she's been living here in L.A. for five years. I do believe that that art is at its best, like a way for me to not feel alone in the universe. Yeah. And that's... I don't take that lightly. You know, it's it's easy to become cynical and to think that it's just a commodity or whatever, but that's not it for me. Haley has a show coming up at Shrine in New York City uh, this fall, so if you're there, uh, definitely check that show out. And here in L.A., she shows at Bozo Mag as well. And later in the show, we're going to hear from Los Angeles metal outfit Hexacon. The People features the voices and ideas that make up the cultural landscape of Los Angeles, the West Coast, and beyond. It's like a broken record, magically repaired. Akina Cox and Haley Barker, welcome to The People. Yeah, welcome. Thanks for coming. Thanks Thanks for having us. Yeah. Jinx. So there are many reasons I wanted to talk to Haley, and I hope we get through at least a few of them. (laughs) (laughs) But one of them was that I want to talk about spirituality because I feel like both of our work has that element, but we come from two different places. Or I feel like we're like two sides of the same coin. Mm -hmm. Um, I know you're in a show called Conscious Collaboration of Spirit right now. And I feel like a lot of your drawings have the word spirit or spiritual in it. And I also feel, I know that your practice involves a lot of morning drawing when you first wake up. Mm -hmm. And I know that's like, feels like a meditation for you or like, Mm -hmm. I I don't know. I just wanted to hear more about your approach to those subjects. Mm, Wow. I know it's pretty (laughs) heavy. That's a big subject. (laughs) But thank you for your interest. Um, I feel like having been raised in the Catholic Church, I've always been conscious of spirituality or religion Mm -hmm. and um, I guess more and more so in the last say seven or eight years or ten years Um, but the drawings you're speaking of those those are a kind of spiritual practice when I wake up in the morning and I just start drawing right away I feel like I'm able to access dreams and Um, or not, not even like a specific narrative, but more like an emotional sort of psychological space within a dream. And not only that, but, you know, there's also like the residue of the day before too, or the anxieties of the coming day. Um, and all of those I think are kind of based in an everyday spiritual experience. Um, so yeah, I think of them as kind of like a spiritual diary. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I feel like it's interesting because I'm drawn to that 
even though we live in LA <laughs> where there's this idea of spirituality everywhere that's heavily commodified. Yeah. Like it's like buy this smoothie to protect you or right. or this crystal or whatever. And you know I love crystals. I know. Well, I know. this is the thing. I like <laughs> I had a rock collection when I was a kid. Like rocks and crystals are amazing. Yeah, they are. But it's like I feel like heavily conflicted, especially as you get older and if you come from a religious background mm-hmm. with the idea of spirituality. Hmm. Tell me more about that. So I feel like for my own practice. Okay. So I have, a, as you know, I have a crazy backstory. Yes. Where I grew up in a cult. And it was also tied to art at the same time. Because my mom my mom went to art school before joining the group. Mm-hmm. And then when I was growing up, she was like, Akina, you have no pressure, but you need to become a famous artist. <laughs> <laughs> because we need to save the world and it's up to you. And, no pressure. Uh, yeah. And yeah. I was like, cool, mom, got it. Thanks. And um, so for me, like, so I was taught that, like, art was a way to use, like, the spirit world and God to, like, bring good news to people to, like, save them from Satan. Like, mm-hmm. no biggie. And then <laughs> when I got older and realized, like, I didn't want to be part of the group anymore – all of a sudden I had to rethink, like, wait, why am I making work? Should I make work? Mm-hmm. And it took – and, like, I did have a break of, like, a year or two where I, like, wasn't making work. And I've started to make – and I started to make work again because I realized, like, I needed to for me because it's what made me feel most alive. Like, you know when you're, like, driving to your studio and you're, mm-hmm. like – I'm going to go work on this project. And it's like something awakens in you that's not there when you're like at your day job, mm-hmm. you know? And then I also started to love art again because I realized like, I think art is just like a bunch of people hoping they're not alone and making work and hoping to like make a connection with people. So I feel like when I grew up, I thought it was like a way to connect to this like vast spiritual like fight going on. And it, like, had this, like, super importance. And then when I – and then that's why I thought art was important. But now as I got older, I realized, like, oh, it's, like, the most human of human activities. And, like, that's why I want to do it. Hmm. So I feel like at my heart I'm an atheist now that, like, fucking, like, hates any idea of God or, like, crystals bringing anything good into your life. But I feel like I still make work in that same spiritual way where it's, like, Mm. important to me for its connection. And I feel like you – I see that in your work, too, where it's, like, a daily practice to understand the connection in your work to yourself but also to others. That's a big part of it. Though more recently I feel like my work's moving in a little bit of a different direction. But just to linger on this a bit more, I I do believe that – that art is at its best, like a way for me to not feel alone in the universe. Yeah. And that's, I don't take that lightly. You know, it's, it's easy to become cynical and to think that it's just a commodity or whatever. Yeah. But, um, but that's not it for me. Yeah. I feel like it, 
it was something that was like embarrassing to talk to about because like I went to CalArts where you're supposed to just like tie your work to like French theorists from the 70s mm-hmm. and like pretend that it's like some kind of equation this art making and it was like embarrassing to be like no this is comes from another place well yeah. I wanted to ask because Haley said you started getting more interested in using spirituality as a part of your work about 10 years ago and I think that's a kind of about the time where in LA anyway and I think more places it became like spirituality as part of a practice became something that was okay and not like cool even maybe um where it wasn't an embarrassing thing to say that you did that and I'm not Mm -hmm. sure why that is but it was about 10 years ago yeah I don't know I, I wasn't here in LA then but um but I've certainly noticed that it's like a gimmick you it, know. it can it can be a gimmick. can be yeah but I also feel like a bunch not only <laughs> right of course but it's yeah. like it's like a subgenre you I, know it's I, like ooh witchy spiritual art cool but oh. it must be something I mean my guess is that it's something in like that's going on in the world and we're it in is. a historical moment and where that everyone kind of feels like that's what we need to, to and there are legit witchy spiritual ways to do that just saying i'm not totally cynical about (laughs) that but i guess i'm like a huge critic no i'm right there with you i feel like my theory ben is that a lot of us who are making work now were raised by hippies and so a lot of hippies like my own parents um after protesting the vietnam war or whatever they did they like joined really weird groups or they got really religious again and they kind of went on new directions. And so I feel like a lot of us are actually grappling with that hmm. legacy. I mean, I think it's it's tied to a lot of things too, like a, in a cultural gestalt so. of sorts. Like for me, I came to using spirituality through trauma and trying yeah. to like heal myself along with other like therapeutic modalities. But um, and I know we have some things in common there. Yeah. Um, and I think just the nature of, of trauma as it's like dealt with in our culture has changed a lot in the last five, 10 years. So it, I think it's almost inevitable that spirituality will come into it because it's something we're all exploring more deeply and more openly than ever before. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Um, honestly, that's another huge reason why I wanted to talk to you. I was wondering when you moved to L.A. It was five years ago, right? Mm -hmm. Because that was around the time that I was diagnosed with PTSD. Mm -hmm. And then you showed up to a town. And I feel like I met you pretty soon after you had moved here. Yeah. And you were really open with your own diagnosis. And it was honestly probably a lifesaver for me because I didn't know anyone else with that diagnosis. And at the time when that label was put on me, I was like, but I wasn't a soldier in Afghanistan like how do you have that diagnosis if you're if you know you grew up mostly in the states or whatever and Mm -hmm. it took me a while to grapple with it and you know get the right meds and get the right therapy and figure all that out and I know as as you know it, it when you're figuring that out it often feels like you're drowning and trying to grab onto whatever that can sustain you Mm -hmm. so yeah I feel like that was really important for me. Oh, that's that's really lovely to hear. Thank you, Akina. Uh-huh. Yeah, I mean, I I think that's part of the power of sharing about yes. um, mental health situations that we find ourselves in, and also 
like the power of art in relation to those um, places we find ourselves in, whether it's different like mental health issues or PTSD um, or just healing from a, a variety of illnesses. Um, I think all of those things can like bring you closer to to each other and sharing openly is is a hugely like rewarding experience for those going through it. I know that's that's like how I survived it was through sharing it with other people. It's funny because when the idea of spirit comes from the root word to breathe Mm -hmm. and I feel like there's a lot of that in your work it just it almost feels like breathing is like something we have to do every day right and Mm -hmm. that's what also feels like your art practice to me like it's something that you need to do every day oh and then it becomes something that like you're putting out in the world that like we're all like kind of taking our time and like inhaling ourselves oh that's that's so lovely thank you anytime Haley (laughs) (laughs) well I want to hear more about you know the spirituality underlying your current work because I know you're you're doing this whole new body of work and it seems to be related to all these things yeah I think it all ties with the idea of art being something that we try and use to seek connections with other people Mm -hmm. and to tell stories with other people and to tell our own stories. And so the new body of work that's going to be at Bozo Mag, I I titled it Apocalypsis, which is a Greek word that essentially means like a revelation. It's an ancient literary genre that's where a prophet talks about their idea of the future. This is like a huge backstory, But for years, I've been interested in the idea of the Amazons because there were this group of women. I talk about them all day long to anyone who will listen. But it was this group of women who were supposedly priestesses of the goddess Demeter in ancient Greece. And they, they rebelled against the Greek patriarchy. When they were finally um, defeated, they escaped on horseback. And they vowed to start a new civilization. Never, and they vowed to start a new civilization, and then no one ever heard from them again. Essentially, so my idea has always been like, or my interest in them has always been like, when do you fight the patriarchy, and then when do you start over? Like, what, what do you do? Like, what do we do, guys? <laughs> like, <laughs> do we do we fight the do we fight to make the power structures that exist better or do we try and just demolish them? And I've been wondering about that over the past few years. And finally, I feel like this year I got an answer to the question, which is that like, it doesn't matter which one you choose. What matters is the people that you're fighting with. And for me, I'm thinking like the past few years, the group of artists that I love in LA, like truly love, and, like, how important it is to me that they're in this fight with me. Like, we're mm-hmm. all suffering mm-hmm. together. <laughs> but we're suffering together, and we have these ties, and I feel like that means that essentially, like, we're in heaven. Like, I feel like I'm in heaven. Even though mm-hmm. the world fucking sucks, it's like, I'm, like, 
when I was a little girl, I thought I was going to grow up and have an arranged marriage to, like, an abusive guy, and that would be my life. Mm-hmm. And, like, instead I live in a, like, a tiny house in L.A. with a guy who's not garbage. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm happy to be with him. And, like, I have a million people in L.A. that are, like, wonderful that I love to be around. Mm. And, like, that's just, like, the most amazing thing. You're listening to The People on K-Chung, 1630 AM. I'm Matthew Timmons. And I'm Ben White. Remember, you can find this and all past episodes anywhere where you get your podcasts, uh, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Apple iTunes, any of that stuff. Uh, Just search for The People Radio. And remember, we're also on Instagram at the underscore people underscore radio. So check us out on Instagram. Yes, please do. And now back to our conversation with Akina Cox and Haley Barker. So... When you moved to L.A. five years ago, mm-hmm. you were starting to work on a little artist book, right? What was the name of that? <laughs> <laughs> uh, it was called Vintage Self-Help. <gasps> what a wonderful name. Yes, and I'd actually been writing it, gosh, like for about 10 years. Wow. Uh-huh. And when we were off mic downstairs, you... When we were talking about talking about writing, you were like, I felt like I had one thing to say and I said it. What is the one thing that you said in that book? Well, it was a reflection on the traumas I'd been through and how I thought they were all sort of bodily and metaphorically connected. And also, I guess related to that was the various kinds of healing approaches I'd taken to dealing with those traumas so I was talking about like sexual assault having ovarian cancer like these things that were very kind of like woomy um not that I have one anymore (laughs) 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 which I actually really love (laughs) I'm like yeah I'm a lady but um but yeah it's uh so yeah that book was about that stuff it was really about it was it was poetic reflections on healing from those both from like the medical industrial complex and then also through alternative methods like different like acupuncture and um through a witch group I was in at the time we did we did healing um circles on on me uh to to heal some of those wounds and um and also looking to nature to heal some of those those wounds. So a book literally about your own self-help. Indeed, yeah. yeah. It was named after, though, the section that I created at Powell's Books in Portland when I worked there. Because we kept getting all... I worked in the self-help section, which I thought was hilarious. Because I <laughs> actually had no idea that any of it would be pertinent to me. Um, <laughs> little did I know, but, um, I was just in deep denial, <laughs> deep repression, but, um, yeah, I started a section called vintage self-help books cause we'd always get these awesome old self-help books that were like out of, um, like didn't make any sense anymore really based on like current scientific data. Yeah. Were they like, don't hug your child or something? They were terrible, <laughs> you know, you know, advice to young women about how to be good women oh, no. and, just sexist fucked up bullshit but they had good art you know good design sure yeah, yeah. great they always do and yeah. they mm-hmm. suck you in that way i know traps yeah but yeah i wanted to make my own kind of self-help book because i felt like when i was going through that stuff 
I was not able to find a book that spoke to me in the way I needed to be spoken to. And so I really wanted to make something like that so that if I knew someone who was going through stuff, I could give it to them and they'd know that like I survived, you know, and maybe they can survive too. And I kind of feel like that's how art is for me too. I feel like it's an elementary like uh, reason to write. You write because you're not finding the books out there in the world that you would like to read. Definitely. That you need to read. Definitely. Mm -hmm. And by extension, you're not seeing the paintings that you want to see out there in the world or whatever. Exactly. Mm -hmm. It's like wanting to see that in the world. But also there's this idea that like silence is like complicity sometimes. Mm -hmm. Or that you, for me, like I felt like I had to start speaking out because I felt like I was complicit in the Mm. abuse that I suffered. Like I was keeping people's secrets and I didn't want to do that anymore. And like, I feel like there's a lot of women authors specifically who speak to that or have talked about that. And I felt like that's where I saw your book in the vein of like, Mm. I'm not going to be embarrassed by these things that happened to me. Thank you. Yeah. I, I was tired of being the only person talking about this stuff obsessively and yeah, it's, it's, um, it's the stuff that ends up shaping you so intensely more than even say like your socioeconomic background sometimes it, although even <laughs> that's definitely intertwined. Right. Um, yeah, but it was like, how can I even begin to make art about this stuff if I can't even speak the words, you know? And that was always my problem was how do I make art about this tough stuff? Like, I don't know how to do it. Especially without it becoming the whole story. Yeah. Because I feel like some of both of our traumas have like a, like, they're like kind of flashy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> like, I feel like for me, I'm like, a lot of people have really shitty parents. It's just my parents are like theatrically shitty. And... So, like, talking about that story, like, that can become the whole story and suck up all the oxygen. hmm And I feel like, but there has to be a way to navigate that, too. And I felt like your book did a great job of that. Like, just, like, the the dipping in and out of all of these subjects. Oh, thank in you. A, in a way that, like, didn't hit anyone over the head. Like, this is my trauma. This is how scared I was. But, like... Hmm. Like, really kind of, like, touching on it to get, like, a glimpse of what happened. And almost, it's, like, almost through the writing, you get a glimpse of what happened, but then you also realize, like, how much you don't know, Mm. too. That's a big part of writing. Yeah. Art. Drama. Yeah. Yeah, the tip of the iceberg. Yeah. And Mm. that's so important, because otherwise you feel like you can name it and put it aside. And it's, like, no, it's this thing that I have to grapple with all the time yeah it's like not like a smooth crystal with sides it's like this muddy thing it is yeah bleeds into everything yeah I don't think I've reread your book in a while but I I like remember where I was when I first read it because you gave me I think it wasn't published yet and you gave me like a printout Mm -hmm. of a draft and I remember being on the train home and just like sitting and reading it and like where I was on the train and I don't even know if I have a copy of your book left because I feel like I've lent it to people and I think one of my 
best friends didn't give it back to me. I'll That's give you. A, always what happens to your best books. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I feel like in the past year I've learned my lesson and like my favorite books I've just I've been greedy with and not letting anyone have them. I would love another copy. I'll well, give you one. As far as your writing, Akina, I mean, mm-hmm. does that is that a similar strategy that you're using or I loved to write when I was younger. I had a scarf and I used to put it on and think it was my writing scarf. <laughs> <laughs> it was navy and red and white, just in case you want to know. Ben. Yeah, sure, that's a writer's scarf. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so, but then you know, my I was told like writing wasn't good. My parents actually like, my mom used to make me promise all the time to not talk about our family. Mm. <laughs> so where's the trauma coming? I don't understand. <laughs> I don't get it. So. I was very isolated as a kid, and the only thing I had was my journal. I used to, I w- wasn't able to talk about my life at my, with my school friends, with church friends. I was a, able to be a little bit more open, but there was always the worry that you were going to be told on. Very recently, I talked about my childhood to like a newer friend, and they were like, that sounds like The Handmaid's Tale. And I was like, God. <laughs> Kind of. So just picture that. Like, you can't really talk about anything to anyone. Yeah. So I had my journal, which for some reason my parents didn't seem to ever read. And that was, like, my only companion. And then I just thought that's where my writing was going to stay. But in grad school, I fucking somehow talked my way into a graduate seminar with Maggie Nelson, Mm. which is – I don't know how or why I did that, like – it was like the probably the best move I've ever done in my life. And so I feel like through that class I learned like, oh, this can be also something I can share with people. Mm. And the first writing I did was this little zine I made called When I Tell You I Was Born Into a Cult, This Is What It Means. And I was trying to like write this like essay. And I ended up just throwing it out and writing an actual list. Like, this is what it means. It means that I grew up eating curry. (laughs) Like, it means that, like, I thought, I thought spirits, I thought I could command spirits to do things for me. Like, it means that I thought I was getting arranged marriage. Like, just, like, writing Mm. these things out. Like, because I was, also, I think Ben touched on this earlier, like, like spirituality and religion and cults to an extension have become more popular in the past like 10 years to talk about in art. And I was so fucking done with people talking about them in this like beautiful aesthetic kind of way. Like I think the source, fa- the source family documentary that came out like blame. 10 years ago yeah. Yeah. or 12 years ago. And all of a sudden everyone made work with like photos of women in long white dresses. And I was like. And a lot of like music acts would show yes. up in, in white robes. Oh my robes, God. Yeah. Know. Yeah. The polyphonic spree. I wasn't going to say their name on my podcast. I will call everything out. I was so done with people thinking this was something cool and like it was like Hollywood and like, like. Like group nudity and and cool outfits, and I. My joke is that like I would compl- I remember yelling about this to my husband and being like, you know, we didn't dress up around campfires singing songs all the time, and I was like, well, we kind of did, but like, 
But there's so much, like you were talking, there's so much abuse and trauma. Yeah. What I, I feel like a cult is like actually like just a huge abuse of family. Yeah. Which is a lot of things in this world. But I like really wanted to speak to the heart of that and just be like, this is what you're talking about. This is what you're making light of when you're talking about a cult. And I have no patience for it. And I still see it to this day. And I still write about it sometimes. I wrote an article about it for Apricado, like, I think last year, where I was just like, if you're making work or making movies about, like, cults, and you're just, like, portraying them as this, like, kind of sexy group that's, like, a little kooky, but maybe they have the right idea, like, you're just, like, objectifying this group that, like, has a lot of trauma involved. Yeah. And also, if you point out how weird they are, and make fun of them, that's just, like, encouraging this, like, attitude of silence where, like, cult members, like, we see that when you grow up yeah. in a cult. You see people making fun of you. You see yourself being objectified. And then you feel like you can't leave because everyone is, thinks you're weird. Yeah. Like, I had, I still, again, I still remember the moment where I told my best friend in grad school, like, I grew up in this cult. And, like, how much shame it, it carried with me. And to hear her say, like, wait, why are you ashamed of, like, where you grew up? That's, like, the cards you were dealt. There's nothing to be ashamed of. Like, just to hear that was, like, 10, word, wor- ten years of therapy just, like, compacted mm. into this one sentence that I did not have to pay Amazing. for. <laughs> wow. Yeah. I had to get in the room with that person. I yeah. know. A good I friend. think about that yeah. when I pay my student loans every month. Right. I'm like, these friends are worth it. I don't know if they're worth, like, almost 100 grand, but they're pretty close. I think so. Um, I mean, and you could not fully, but you could say that to some those things to some extent about the more established cults like the Catholic Church or uh, evangelical Christianity or, or or you name it. Or just even like the patriarchy, like sure. being assaulted. I said the Catholic Church, didn't I? Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> My bad. Go ahead. But even just like the patriarchy, like as a woman, like navigating the world and having things happen to you without your permission and being told to like shut up about that. And being feeling like that's your shame. Mm. I feel like it's all the same thing. I think there's something about yearning for a spiritual experience that's very common. um, Or, you know, not universal maybe, but but part of, I think, our our brain that, that wants to be part of something bigger and, and our bodies too. And, um, and I think that that's a really profound thing. And you can find it through all sorts of methods, you know, a bunch of different methods, healthy and not healthy. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I know, I, I don't know, to each his, her, their own, you know, but but also, like, don't fucking hurt people. Exactly. You know? Yeah. <laughs> like, don't, don't be lie. a dick. Yeah. yeah don't yeah. steal from people. Don't trap them. Don't abuse them. Yeah. Be ethical. But, of course, because they are human endeavors, like, they're going to get screwed up. Right. Yeah. You're listening to The People on K-Chung 1630 AM. I'm Ben White. And I'm Matthew Timmons. 
Remember, you can find us wherever you find podcasts. Really everywhere that you find podcasts. Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, all the places. Yeah, and if you would be so kind as to leave us a rating and review, uh, and or subscribe even, that would that would be great. That'd be amazing. Uh, we're also on Instagram at the underscore people underscore radio. So find us there. And now let's get back to our conversation with Akina Cox and Haley Barker. Quite a few minutes ago, Haley, you were mm-hmm. saying that your work was coming from this meditative place. It's starting to go in new directions. It's a, it's a work in progress. But what can I say about it? You know, I think when I was making work for the show at Bozo Mag last fall, which I have to say it's so exciting to be speaking with a fellow Bozo family member here. Oh Bozo um, cult for life. For life. Um, when I was making work for that show, I felt a kind of curiosity, I guess is the right word, around making some work that wasn't in the vein that I had been sort of working in the past several years before. And most of what I'd been making before was based on my bed drawings and looked like kind of abstracted self-portraits. Um so I started kind of reaching outward from there and thinking about other things I wanted to paint and found myself wanting to make a lot of different kinds of paintings. And um, I have to say, like, several months past that show now, I'm, I'm really becoming more and more interested in having a more concrete relationship with um, art history. And yeah, it's been really fun, and it's become more figurative, and um, I'm just kind of letting myself go to the things that I love, which, you know, as a, like, 20-something, when I was studying performance art, I was always like, yeah, dude, I love the symbolists. <laughs> like, you know, like, I was always stuck around that late 19th century kind of stuff um so it's fun to dip back into that with a little bit of a with a little more confidence maybe and to come to it with my own perspective um being a I don't know that being a feminist makes it different but I'd like to think it does and um exploring that from a perspective where I I feel I guess a little more empowered as an artist I'm I just woke up one day, though, and felt like, you know, I think I want to just make paintings. I'm tired of thinking too much about, like, the container that they all need to fit within. Like, I just want to make whatever I want to make on whatever day. Maybe this even circles back around to some things we were talking about earlier, but when I uh, when I went to undergrad at the University of Oregon, I tried to study painting, and no joke. I'm going to I'm going to say this out loud. Like I couldn't get into any of the painting classes. This was back when you nice. had to stand in line and like wait to get into a class. I couldn't get yeah. into any of them. Um wait, so one of Why couldn't you get in? Cuz they were like they were full. Oh. And one of the painting professors said I could model for the class if I wanted to. Oh, that's the same. Yeah, it's the same, right? Uh-huh. And then later on, another professor, male professor, said, well, I think I can figure out a way to get you in if you want to meet with me later. Cool. Great. And being a little bit PTSD in that moment, 
I flipped out and I was like, fuck painting. I'm not going to study painting. And I, you know, I learned how to do performance art because it was something that I was also kind of innately into. Um, and it felt like something I could very concretely talk about the things I wanted to talk about, you know, like identity politics, violence, you know, political fucking shit that was going on. Um, and that was very of the moment then in the nineties. Um, but I always kind of like painted secretly nice. and yeah, cause it wasn't cool and like nobody valued it at the moment where I was at. And, um, so once I got done with all of my schooling, I was like, okay, well, I'm going to paint again. And it just hasn't stopped. And I've, through that investment, I think, in it, I've found that I can actually talk about the things I want to talk about, although the things I want to talk about now have, have really changed as probably being older and um, becoming more interested in what my work is about now, which is, is more about like an interior life. And, and part of it, too, might be that I work in my backyard now. Like, mm. I don't have a studio studio out somewhere in the world. I I love that it's become very domestic to me to just roll out of bed and paint. When you said you had your work is coming out of these art historical places, like, are there particular people? Mm-hmm. Sure, yeah. Like, I, I've been thinking a lot about Bonard. Mm-hmm. Um always you know Matisse the symbolists yeah I'm really bad at um dates but in the late 1800s there were a bunch of men who (laughs) (laughs) yeah a bunch of men who made work about like spiritual things Mm. and they were very dreamy and allegorical and um involved like personal symbologies um so like my favorite one is I'm going to say his name wrong. Odilon oh. Redon. Oh, him. Okay. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, he's, he's like my, my BFF forever. Yeah. yeah. That period of time has been really interesting to me because that happened like, at least in the States, that was just after the Civil War. Mm-hmm. And that was when electricity started to become popular. Mm-hmm. And there was that whole spiritual movement, yeah, which grew up around that because it and it seems like looking back, you're like the spiritualists were like, well, if you can turn on a light switch and a light in another room turns on like that's magic. Mm-hmm. Magic is real. Like you guys like your grandpa who died is probably trying to speak with you right now. Mm-hmm. You just need like a different medium. And also, where's the body of my son who went to fight at Gettysburg? It's not here. We need to talk to him. Yeah. Wouldn't mm-hmm. it be cool if I could and he'd be there? Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I feel like there's a lot of that in the air today still. Yeah, sure. I mean these were these are maybe not spiritualist, yeah. but but spiritual. Like mm-hmm. um Gustave Moreau is another mm-hmm. one that I've always loved, like since I was a little kid. I love his like crazy compositions of like mythological creatures and people all kind of like piled up into these strange architectures and they just have this like kind of timeless weird weird in that they're not it's not a real space none of these things happen in real spaces or believable spaces yeah that's why I wanted to ask you about your new work because I felt like before it was often like 
a close-up of a face Mm -hmm. that was heavily abstracted. And now you are painting spaces where sometimes multiple people are residing Mm -hmm. or a person with animals. Yes. And plants. Yes. It seems like you are creating space to talk about like some other kind of way to live maybe. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, growing up, I loved painting and looked at so much of it. And again, none of it really reflected my reality Mm -hmm. as much as I could fantasize about it and dream about it and imagine myself in it. And so I guess I'm, I'm curious to see what it's like to make the paintings that do reflect my reality now and in a very like everyday kind of humble way. Yeah. Um, I'm interested in beauty and that and and quietude <laughs> and spaces of reflection i'm not talking about some kind of like idealized forms but more just um a kind of pleasantness really and i and i think it's it's a little crazy to do that it feels a little weird like given all of the shit in the world but but Honestly, like this is the respite that I have and need. <laughs> I need this for my own sanity and um, my own like healing and my own ability to cope in this world. And so that's that's why I'm making them. I imagine it can feel very vulnerable to be like, yeah. this is this is what I want from the world. It is. But I'm also like old enough now to kind of not yeah. give a fuck. Yeah. So that's nice. At the end of the day, like that's what if that's what brings you joy like i think that's, that's what you what have you to have double to do. down on i agree <laughs> akina haley thank you so much for joining thank us. you guys thank for you. Oh. let's meet up next week you've been listening to the people on kchung 16 30 a.m i'm matthew timmons and i'm ben white remember you can find the people anywhere where you find podcasts stitcher soundcloud apple podcasts all that stuff uh and we're also on instagram at the underscore people underscore radio and our interstitial music, as always, is Ockfiff by Lewis Keller. So check his work out. Thank you, Lewis. And now we're going to go out with a new single from Pasadena metal outfit Hexicon. Hexicon is friends of the show Andrew Cox and his brother Austin. You can follow them on Instagram at Hexicon Band or find them on Bandcamp at hexaconmetal.bandcamp.com. And the name of the song is Dragnarok. Dragnarok. <laughs>